It's great to have you here with us, Grace Church. Uh, man, just thanks for thanks for worshiping with us. Uh, if it's your first time here, I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Justin Ross. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church, and uh, man, uh, just honored and privileged to be a part of a church that is uh, doing its best to live out its faith and its community, and to love its community, and to love Christ and to honor Christ. I mean, that is our motivation: is to love God and to love people well. That's the foundation of why we do what we do. I've got a couple announcements that I want to share with you before we dive into part two of our series called Wireless, a a four-week series focused on the value of prayer. Prayer is vital uh, to our lives as Christians. And so before I dive into the part two of that series, I just want to give a couple announcements. Uh, This Friday and Saturday, uh, June 17th and 18th, we are uh, going to be having our seventh annual men's skeet meet event. Okay, it's going to be incredible. I want to encourage you men to sign up for this. Uh, we've done this seven years in a row. Let me just tell you, last year I uh, actually had to leave the event early. I wasn't able to compete in the competition part because I had to get back. I was coaching football, and uh, but this year I'm going to compete in the competition. So I do have to be honest. You probably shouldn't even sign up because it's it's uh, it's already a done deal. All right. That's actually my challenge to you to sign up, fellas. It's a challenge. Okay. All right. That was weird, too. All right. I actually, no, I want to invite you. It's, it's a great time. There's usually about 50, 55 guys up there. Um, and we're eating a lot of good food. We do have a skeet shooting competition. We give a shotgun away to the winner of the competition. And it's a great time of fellowship. Uh, Randy Rowan is actually going to be bringing the message this year. And he's going to do a great job. It's going to be an incredible event. So I want to ask you and invite you to sign up. You can do that in the lobby after the service. And I want to ask you to do it today, if you, if at all possible, if you could sign up today. That really helps us in the preparation of all the food to kind of know um, who's going to be there and how much food we need to get. So if you're going to come, please sign up for that today. Also, just wanted to mention that uh, kids, our kids ministry, G Kids ministry is going to camp today. They actually just left in the van, um, so if you guys would, please keep them in your prayers. It's a great group of kids going this year, and just want to encourage you to pray for them. We're praying for some of them to make decisions in regards to salvation, and, uh, and I just want to say camp is a great tool. God has used camp um, to change lives. Um, I was saved at youth camp, and uh, man, camp is just a wonderful time for kids to really focus on their relationship with Jesus Christ. So pray for them um, as they uh, venture off to New Mexico for camp. Also just wanted to uh, invite you August 11th and 12th. August 11th and 12th, we are going to be hosting the Global Leadership Summit here at Grace Church. And I don't know how else to say this, but to say you have got to be here. You've got to be here. It is that, uh, it's that good. It's that incredible. And it is a tank filler. It's a, it's a time where you can come for two days and just really be inspired, encouraged, and challenged in your faith, in your walk, um, to be grown up in your faith, to be grown up in your leadership. Man, it's an incredible, incredible event. And God has already been using this event to bring some unity um, in the churches in this area. We have already partnered with First United Methodist Church. They're going to be joining us on, the, on this event. And we also have partnered with the Vineyard Church. They're going to be joining us. There's a couple other churches that um, are considering it. And so, man, I think it's just going to be a great time for us to gather as the body of Christ and to mutually in- 
encourage one another and to mutually grow together to bless our community, to bless and, and to be of, of service to our town. So I just want to encourage you to, to sign up uh, for the Global Leadership Summit. You can do that in the lobby as well. So today we are in Daniel chapter 6. It's part two of this prayer series. The title of the sermon is A Blessed Routine. And the main character of the story that we're going to be looking at today is a man who was in his 80s, and his name is Daniel. He was an Israelite who got kidnapped from Jerusalem when he was a very young man. And he and some of his buddies were dragged off to a foreign land as slaves. But Daniel refused to let this get him down. He refused to play the victim card. Instead, he decided to lean deeply into his relationship with God. He decided to live out his faith in a wise, courageous, and winsome way in a secular and godless environment. Daniel decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to lay down. I'm going to stand up for my faith. I'm going to stand up for my God. I'm going to try to do my very best to bring as much glory to God as I possibly can. So Daniel is in this foreign culture, and he willingly accepts man, every work assignment that comes his way, and he does his absolute best because he wants to bring great glory to his God. And as time goes on, Daniel's life takes a political turn. The more governmental responsibility he's given, the more he rises to the challenge. The more he leans into his faith and the more glory he brings to God. It seems as though everything that Daniel does seems to succeed. It seems to prosper. God blesses everything he does. And this ascent goes on for decades. And when we meet Daniel in this story... He's in his 80s, and a new king comes into power. So the new king interviews a bunch of people. He interviews other officials to see who he wants on his administration, right? To see who he wants on his team. And he is so impressed with the track record, the performance, and the integrity of this Israelite named Daniel. He appoints him to one of the three most powerful positions in the entire national government. And then, this new king secretly plans to put Daniel in charge of the entire government. Kind of like a prime minister position. Daniel gets more and more responsibility, and he keeps giving the glory to God. He keeps giving the glory to God, and he just keeps going up and up and up. Everything he does prospers. And Daniel chapter 6 and verse 3 says, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the the other administrators and high officers because Daniel's great ability because of Daniel's great ability the king made plans to place him over the entire empire incredible David proved himself to be the best and church let me let me just say this morning it's okay to be the best there's nothing wrong with being the very best. Be the best in your workplace. Be the best in your school. Be the best on your sports team. There is nothing wrong with being the best. 
in whatever you do. And work in such a way that it brings great glory to God. Work in such a way that your colleagues take notice and they ask, man, like, what is your deal? Like, what's driving you? What motivates you? Why are you working so hard? Prove yourself. Daniel proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Daniel had great abilities and he leveraged those abilities to the fullest extent. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well. Use them well. Steward those gifts that you've been given. Steward them well. Sharpen those gifts that you've been given. Let me encourage you to be the best version of you you can be. Daniel stewarded the gifts that he was given, and he does a good job at it. He leverages those abilities abilities to the fullest extent, and he did this because he was a man who was full of integrity. He was full of integrity. Daniel 6 and verse 4 says, Daniel was faithful. He was always responsible. He was completely trustworthy. You, You cannot be faithless, irresponsible, and untrustworthy, and then expect God to bless you or to pour out His favor upon you. You can't treat your customers poorly and then expect them to give you a good referral. If you continually show up to work late, day after day after day, you cannot expect your boss to promote you. If you're irresponsible, if you're careless, if your boss can't trust you to get the job done, you will not be blessed in your workplace. What what about your attitude? I mean, Daniel was a delight to work with. He made everybody around him better. He didn't suck the life out of the room when he walked in. He made everybody better around him. You know, some employers, they have a hard time keeping uh, good employees because of their attitude. And let me remind you, church, that attitude is a choice. You have to make the decision. Attitude is so critical. It's so vital. Some employers have a hard time keeping good employees because of their attitude. They have to let them go. They have to even fire them because their attitudes are so so poor. They're always griping. They're always complaining. They're never offering encouragement. There's just always a dark cloud of doom over their heads. And many employers have to let them go because they're bringing everyone around them down. But not Daniel. Not Daniel. Daniel was the type of guy that made people better. I mean, when you had a conversation with Daniel... You left that conversation fired up. You left that conversation inspired and encouraged. You left that conversation ready to conquer the world. He was making people around him better. You know, the thing was, is Daniel lived this way his whole life. Decade after decade. And I have to ask, how was he able to live this way over such a long period of time? 
And I believe he was able to live this way because Daniel had a blessed routine in his life. He had routines in his life that made him better. And without those routines, he too would have fallen into the black hole of hopelessness and despair. But because of those blessed routines in his life, he was able to live with great integrity. I'm going to talk more about routines in just a few minutes, but let's continue on with the story. Here's where the plot intensifies. Here's where the story gets good. When Daniel gets selected for this top job, the colleagues that he outperformed to get this top position, they get jealous of him. Not just a little bit jealous, insanely jealous. Like, hate the ground that he walks on jealous. I don't know if you've ever been swept, if you've ever been swept up into jealousy. Man, it can be very dark. It can be very ugly. People do crazy things when they're jealous, when their jealousy is out of control. So let's talk about the pitfalls of jealousy for just a few minutes. Daniel's colleagues are so consumed with professional jealousy, they decide to take Daniel down. Like, he's got to go. Daniel has got to go. He's in the way. So they search and they search, and they're trying to find some dirt in Daniel's character. They're trying to find some dirt in his politics. I mean, surely they will be able to find some dirt in Daniel's life. Surely they'll be able to find some good, old-fashioned Corruption. I mean, surely they're going to find something, right? I mean, every government official has some dirty laundry somewhere, right? At least they do in the state of Colorado. But as we read on, we see they could find no corruption in him because he was faithful, he was responsible, he was completely trustworthy. And I love that love that. Wouldn't it be awesome if that could be said about every person here at Grace? They were faithful. And they were responsible. They always got the job done. They always did what they said they were going to do. And they were completely trustworthy. I mean, you could trust them with anything. So these guys, these jealous colleagues, they changed their tactic. They can't find any dirt in Daniel's life, and since they can't dig up any dirt in Daniel's politics or in his life, they turn to his religion. So now an idea forms. Everyone knew that Daniel was a man of deep faith. He had never kept that a secret, nor should we. All of Daniel's colleagues knew he was a man of faith. Do your colleagues know about your faith? And you're not going to believe this plan that these jealous guys hatch. Knowing that Daniel was a man committed to prayer, these guys go behind his back and they present a very strange proposal to the new king. And the proposal is recorded in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 7. Okay, It says, we are all in agreement. That's a red flag right there. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, we're all in agreement. It's not just me. I gotta, I've, I've talked to this group and this group and this group. We're all in agreement. Like they're coming at you with all their weapons drawn. That's a red flag, right? We're all in agreement. 
we administrators and officials and high officers and advisors and governors and deacons and elders and Sunday school teachers and, you know, we're all in agreement. Oh, man, that's so scary when you hear those words. We're all in agreement that the king should make a new law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. No one had ever survived a night with the hungry lions. So the king hears this idea and he thinks it over and he loves it. Like he's like, that would make me like a god. People would kneel before me, they would bow before me, they would pray to me, they would worship me. I like this new law. I think I'm going to sign it. So the king officially signs this new idea into law. And now the plot thickens. Daniel's colleagues know the time and they know the place where he prays every day. He prays three times a day facing Jerusalem on the upper level of his house where there's plenty of open windows to give a cool breeze in the Middle Eastern heat. The routine of Daniel's prayer life is what gave these guys the idea to pass the new anti-pray to anyone but the king law. And they did this so they could catch him. They were setting a trap. They could catch Daniel violating this law and they would be done with him. They want to catch Daniel in the act so they can kill him off. When jealousy has a death grip around your throat, it causes you to do crazy things. Out of control jealousy will lead you down extremely painful paths. You'll begin to twist reality. You'll lose all concept of good reason. You'll actually lose your mind. Out of control jealousy leads to hate. It leads to revenge. And like the jealous colleagues of Daniel, out of control jealousy can lead to the point where you're trying to take someone else's life. It can lead to murder. And these guys, they were not using good logic. They weren't using good reason. They were being controlled by the powerful feelings of jealousy. And back in the story, we see that someone tips off Daniel about this new law and its intent. They go to Daniel and they say, Daniel, whatever you do, do not pray in the usual time, in the usual place that you do. Don't do it. They're setting a trap for you. You've been set up, and the king is going to have to enforce this stupid law. Daniel, whatever you do, don't pray like you usually pray. So Daniel thinks through his options. I mean, he could, he could skip his prayer time for the next 30 days, right? I mean, surely God would understand. God would want him to live a longer life so that he could have greater influence. He could skip prayer for the next 30 days and just wait for the legislation to run out so that he would spare his own life. Maybe... Maybe he could just pray in his head. So not really like he's been doing, but he could just pray in his head, and nobody really knows if he's praying or not. He could just pray in his head. We've all done that, right, at the restaurant that's really crowded. You look around, and you're like, I don't want to 
offend anybody. I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. So you kind of just talk in your head, Jesus, thank you for this uh, cheeseburger. And, uh, amen. Uh, whew, I got through that, right? We've all done that. He could have called the local media to come to his house, and he could have prayed a protest prayer to go against this law. He could have prayed in his loudest voice, and he could have protested this law to make the king and all of his colleagues look like idiots. That's what he could have done. But what does Daniel do? Watch this. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. He knew they were watching. He knew about the legislation. He knew the consequences. But it says that he got down on his knees and he prayed just like he had always done before. As if to say to these jealous, hateful colleagues of his, you're going to have to feed me to the lions. You're going to have to feed me to the lions because I am not changing this routine, this practice in my life. I need it that much. That's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to feed me to the lions. Remember what happens after that? His colleagues catch him breaking the stupid law, and they take a picture, and they post it on Instagram for everyone to see. And they run to the king, and they tell him what Daniel had done. And when the king learned that he had been tricked by these jealous men, verse 14 says the king was greatly distressed. The king feels terrible. I mean, he wanted Daniel to be the prime minister I mean, Daniel's the highest integrity, hardest working, smartest, most trustworthy leader this king had ever known. And now he's just going to end up being fed to the lions because of a stupid law. The king is filled with self-reproach. I mean, he is completely sick to his stomach. So the king meets with Daniel right before he's to be thrown into the lion's den, and the king says some remarkable words. Verse 16. This is from a godless king. He says, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Daniel, I'm pulling for you. I'm pulling for you. May your God rescue you. And what an amazing statement. Daniel has lived faithfully in a foreign culture. He stood up for his faith against all the ridicule and he did this decade after decade after decade. You know what happens. Daniel is lowered into the den of starving lions, and God sends an angel. An angel. God sends an angel whose job description for the night is to keep the mouths of the starving lions shut. The king doesn't sleep all night. He gets up very early in the morning and he runs to the den to see if there's anything left of Daniel. And not only is Daniel still alive, but verse 23 records that he didn't even have a scratch on him. God answered his prayers to be 
rescued. Two things happen after Daniel is pulled up from the lion's den. The first is the king obviously is fuming. I mean, he is angry. He's completely upset with the jealous colleagues who hatched this evil plan. So he throws them and all their families into the den of lions. Those lions make short work of all of them. Which is, church, a strong warning to us that out-of-control jealousy doesn't just hurt me. It hurts my family as well. The second thing that happens is beautiful. It's incredible. The king drafts a letter and he has it circulated throughout the entire kingdom. And he's praising Daniel. And more importantly, he's praising Daniel's God. He sends this out to the whole nation. Can you imagine? Every household gets this letter from the king praising God, praising Daniel. Could you imagine getting a letter from the president praising God, lifting up God's name, glorifying God? Could you Let me cite one section from this letter that this godless king recorded, that he wrote, rather, in Scripture. This is from the actual letter, verses 26 and 27. Verses 26 and 27. This is the king talking. He says, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure Ever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. That's incredible. Everyone we've ever thrown into the lion's den has been eaten. But here is someone who stands up for his faith and God rescues him. We have never seen anything like this, the king was saying. God rescued Daniel. I want to finish the sermon this morning talking about the importance of practices. Talking about the importance of having a blessed routine in your life. And I want to start by asking you a question. Should we as followers of Jesus Christ, should we establish intentional prayer routines in our life? Or should we be spontaneous and really loose about it? Just kind of whenever I feel led to pray, I'm just going to pray. My strong recommendation is that you have a time and a place where you regularly meet with God. Man, do you have a room? Do you have a place? Do you have a chair? I wanted to just set up this chair here this morning as a visual to help us. But man, do you have a place? Sometimes people, they they have a chair on the front deck. And maybe there's a view of the mountains or just some scenery, a river, or whatever it may be. For me, it's just a bunch of pinion trees <laughs> and dirt. Um, but I like it anyways. But man, I sit on the deck, just 
try to commune with God. I try to hear from Him. I spend time in His Word and I read it, but I also try to apply it. And I pray for my wife. I pray for my boys. I pray for you. I pray for my country. I, I just spend time praying and having this relationship with God. Do you have a chair? Do you have a place where you regularly meet with God? And let me just say, church, there have been seasons, I have to be honest, where, man, I haven't sat in that chair, where I haven't spent time with God like I should. My life, without exception, just does a downward spiral. But man, when I've had those seasons where I'm regularly meeting with God, listening to Him and communing with Him, so special. It's so good for me. It's vital to my life, to my spiritual growth. Do you have a place? It doesn't have to be a chair. Where, where is it? Man, maybe it's up in the mountains. Maybe it's sitting by a lake. Maybe it's, you know, in the wintertime, it's by the wood stove. I don't know. Do you have a place where you regularly meet with God? Church, it needs to be consistent. You need to be faithful at it. And trust me, it's going to take a lot of discipline. Prayer is difficult. But it's of the utmost importance to figure out a time, to figure out a place to pray on a consistent basis. I mean, it needs to be an absolute fixture in your life. I believe that's what Jesus was referring to when he said in Matthew 6, 6, when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in heaven. You know, many prayers that I need to pray, many prayers you need to pray, are best prayed in private. Between you and God alone. It takes focused concentration. I mean, it takes uh, intentionality, it takes focused concentration to have that meaningful adoration God. You need a regular time. You need a regular place where you pray each day. Where's your chair? Where's your chair? And you need a time. You need a place where you can confess sin. I, I've never been able to confess sin just on the fly. You know, driving down the road, Lord, sorry for this and that. No, I mean, it, I, have to, in, I have to have some focused time to really search my heart. You need a time and a place to be able to confess sin. Some of you are at crossroads in your life. You're making major decisions in your life, and you need a place where you can process through those decisions, where you can pray through those decisions, where you can receive guidance from God. And Daniel had a blessed routine of prayer where he did serious business with God. And Daniel figured this out early on in his life because he was a slave in a foreign land. He had to endure all the ridicule and all the opposition and oppression. And he understood that if he was going to live out his faith in this secular, godless environment, he had to be connected to God in a powerful way. He had to be. If he was going to succeed in the various jobs that he'd been given so he could bring the most glory to God, it was going to take supernatural strength, supernatural guidance and courage. Daniel realized the only way he'll be able to do what's in his heart 
glorify God in a godless land, he knew the only way that he would be able to do that is if he regularly communed with God. Regularly got on his knees in an unrushed, undistracted place. And he needed to do this a couple times a day. And Daniel had a blessed routine in his life. And that's what helped him with the longevity. That's what helped him to prosper, to succeed decade after decade after decade. And Daniel found that a blessed routine worked for his life. It, it gave him the power and the courage he needed there was nothing that was going to take him away from this routine. These routines became so precious and so pivotal to his ability to live for God in that culture. He needed it. And when those practices were threatened, even with the possibility of death, he was able to look them in the eye and say, feed me to the lions. I'm not changing these practices. I'm not changing these routines. Feed me to the lions. I mean, these routines made me who I am. I was a kidnapped teenager, and now I'm being groomed to be the prime minister. I mean, what got me here were these practices, being connected with God. So if you think I'm just going to break them without giving that a second thought, you're crazy. Feed me to the lions. You know, any spiritual giant that I've had the privilege of meeting or knowing, any game changer for God has a blessed routine in their life when it comes to prayer. And let me just say, church, they are not legalistic about these routines. Please understand this. They're desperate for them. They have these routines out of desperation. They rely on these practices for the communion they need with God and for the power they need from God. They know how quickly they'll lose their connection with God if they stop doing these practices, these routines. They regularly practice their private prayer routines because they're desperate for God. I know some of you right now, you're asking, you're wondering, and do I have the discipline? Do I, do I have the discipline to have a strong prayer life? You're asking if you have the discipline to do this, and, and I have to say that's precisely the wrong question. The question is not, can you work up the discipline? The better question is, do you have the desperation that Daniel had? Are your spiritual sights high enough for you to be desperate enough for God? Are your plans big enough for you to be desperate for God? Are your dreams big enough? Are you risking anything for God? Or are you just playing it safe? Praying where no one can see you? Hiding your faith so you don't ruffle any feathers so you don't offend anybody. You know, your life will continue on with those practices, but your prayer life will stink. And if I've learned anything about prayer in my 
limited ministry experience. It's that desperation drives discipline. When you're hungry to see God work in your life, when you are hungry to see God work through your life to achieve His purposes in a godless society, that hunger will provide more than enough discipline for you to stick to a prayer routine. You'll stick with it because you want to. You'll stick with it because you need to. You won't be able to succeed without it. And a regular connection with God is needed to experience God to the fullest. Church, it's a must. It's a must. Do you have a chair? Do you have a place? Do you have a place where you regularly meet with God, where you regularly listen to Him and seek after Him? And I am so serious about this need to have a blessed routine in our lives that I'm going to lead you, we're going to lead you on a 21-day prayer campaign. Okay, it's been said that it takes 21 days to build a habit in your life. And if there was ever a habit to build in your life, oh my gosh, this is a good one. So we're asking you to commit to three weeks of prayer. And I'm not apologizing for this. I am not ashamed to lead us in this effort. I am desperate for this. Our church is desperate for this. Our country is desperate for this. Throughout the next 21 days, you'll be guided by daily texts from your pastors here at Grace. And the whole intent is to help you establish a routine of prayer in your life. So church, I'm asking you to commit to pray with us over the next 21 days. Hopefully you received one of these wireless 21 cards when you walked in. If you didn't, you could just gently raise your hand up. Don't want anybody to get whacked in the face, right? Just gently raise your hand up, and we'll pass those out to you if you don't have one. But I'm just going to ask you to put your name, your cell phone number, fill out the wireless 21 card, and uh, every day, once a day, for 21 days, we will uh, text you a prayer focus to kind of prime the pump, so to speak to just get you rolling, to get you started. And hopefully that just really uh, opens the gate for you to begin praying and to, to build that habit, to build that routine of prayer in your life. Church, I'm asking you to commit to pray. and I want to encourage you to build this blessed routine in your life because you, your family, your church, your business, your country, desperately need it. It takes a couple minutes to fill that out. He's going to be playing some music in the background. and I'm actually going to say, church, I, I'm expecting most of you to join us in this effort. And if, if we as Christians uh, don't learn how to pray, I'm afraid for our future. And we need to learn how to pray. We need to learn how to spend time on our knees. We need to learn how to hear from God. And uh, honestly, church, I'm, I'm learning myself just trying to encourage our church to, to move down this road of hearing from the Lord through prayer. 
So Keith's going to play some music. And uh, this is going to be your response. Uh, I'm going to ask you to get up from your chairs and to bring these cards right up here and to just drop it in this basket right here. And that'll be your response this morning to say, hey, I'm going to pray three weeks. And hopefully it's three weeks plus, right? But I'm going to commit to pray for three weeks, 21 days. And, uh, and let's see what God does through this. Let's see how he blesses this effort. Let me close in prayer. And then uh, you can respond as key plays. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for the example of Daniel. Thank you for the blessed routines that he had in his life. And just daily spending time on his knees in prayer. Daily having that chair time in your word. Daily just hearing from you. I honestly don't know how we can survive without it. Father, I pray that this 21-day prayer campaign, Lord, I pray that it would be such a huge blessing to our church. I pray that some people would begin to build those habits into their life, those routines, and and we would see generational impact because of the prayer warriors at Grace Church. And we would see lives transformed. We would see people saved. We would see people baptized. We would see people set free from addictions and marriages healed. And our greatest spiritual weapon is the sword of truth, and it's our prayer life. It's coming to you, God, and asking for you to work on our behalf. It's calling on heaven's help. Father, bless this time now as people respond. In Jesus' name, amen.